and power there and all the lost and lonely and all the thieves will come confess and know that you are holy and know that you
Father, it is a privilege and a joy to proclaim your greatness, to bear witness to who you are, not only in our lives, but in this whole world. We've come today to worship you, to proclaim your greatness, to, to open ourselves to you, and to rejoice in what you do in us. Be glorified in our worship this morning, and we offer it to you in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. It's great to see all of you. Uh, share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. I hate to stop just conversations going on. This is awesome. So if you want to talk a little more, that's all right. Let me encourage you when service is done to pick up those conversations again and uh, make some even deeper connections. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. I appreciate uh, your thoughts and prayers throughout this week. I'm feeling much better, and I want to thank all the staff and everyone who filled in last week. It's probably the only time I've ever come to church and not stayed. Uh, so, but thank you, and I uh, appreciate uh, the fact that it was a great, I watched online, which was an awesome thing to be able to do that, and uh, the sharing was terrific, God was certainly uh, present in all of that. Uh, I want to uh, remind you that there are forms in the uh, pew rack in front of you, uh, if you would like to, if you're, if you're a guest with us today, please encourage you to fill those out, and you can up in the offering plate, or just leave it in the pew there, and we will collect them after the service. If you want to communicate with us in some form, as a prayer request you have, if you're interested in knowing more about some of the ministries of the church, uh, please, you can use that form as well to communicate, and we are, we're happy to get those. Also, just wanted to remind you, if you weren't aware, uh, following the uh, 11 o'clock service today, so around noon, uh, we'll be hosting a potluck. It's an opportunity to connect with college students. So if you uh, are planning to come, obviously, uh, you can come early and get connected. But also, if you weren't planning to come, we invite you to do so. If you're able to bring a little food, that's great. We're providing food for the college students who are there. But we hope you can join us in the community room directly behind us. Uh, in, a, in the coming months, about uh, just a little, a little about two months from now, we'll begin our 10th annual three-week 24-7 prayer vigil. And uh, we have had a number of stories that have come out of those, a number of, uh, of perspectives about it. And uh, Heidi uh, Heisinger is going to share just a few moments this morning about her experiences in prayer and in the prayer vigil as well. Good morning. 
I have the privilege of participating in the prayer vigil at Houghton Wesleyan Church for the first time last fall. At that time, we had just moved to Houghton two and a half months uh, prior to that, and I was very much in a season of transition. I'm thankful to say I'm much more in a season of settling now. Um, The theme of last year's vigil was essentially that God pursues us with his unfailing love. That truth and God's word are relevant for all of us in any season of our lives. And I certainly needed to hear that and know that again in my life at that time. Last year, I was slowly reading my way through Psalms. Actually, I'm still slowly reading my way through Psalms, and it's been such a blessing. Um, And so I opened to my reading that day when I came to my hour in the prayer vigil, and I just felt the Lord really speaking to my heart through Psalm 84. I just want to share some of those verses with you, starting at verse 3. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. When I read this, I knew that God saw me, and I was reminded afresh that we are on a pilgrimage, that life is a journey of following God and growing in trust and obedience to him. Being in a season of feeling lost or transition, of grief, of struggle, of telling God, I don't know how to trust you, is part of that journey. It does not mean that we are lost to him. The pictures and quotes and objects so thoughtfully created and placed in the prayer room also reinforced the deep and comforting truth that God sees and knows me even when I feel lost. The prayers written on the whiteboard by other people who had participated in the vigil also reminded me that I, that we are part of the body of Christ in this church and all around the world. And that brought me great comfort. We are powerfully connected to each other and our loving God through prayer. More, on more, more and more on my journey of faith, I have found prayer to be more about turning my face to God, letting his truth and promises shine on my problems, about letting him see me and knowing that he sees, not about a checklist or feeling like I'm ready to know what to do for an hour of prayer and being still. I prefer to pray when I walk. <laughs> I encourage you to join the prayer vigil, though, Um, which will start again here in a few weeks. You can be confident that God will encourage you no matter what season of life you are in. A lot of prayer and thought has already gone into this, uh, the developing of the prayer vigil and the theme for this year. Know that you will receive grace as you participate. I I will close with a verse, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank you. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Gracious Father, we, uh, we come today to declare that we will praise you in all of life. We will declare you in all places. And our desire is that our hearts will be turned to you in all ways. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of coming to you in prayer. We know that you hear us. And we know that you're at work. The burdens, the concerns, the struggles of our lives in this world. We pray today, Father, for, for all who are suffering with grief, loss, pain. We know that it comes to us in a variety of ways. And it often, it often sticks with us. We thank you for your grace in the midst of our grief. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with illness, disease, suffering, pain. We think particularly today of Bethy Lydic, Paul Johnson, Phil Maine, Dan Gurley. Florence Tuber, Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, Gus and Louise Princell, Nancy Cole, Peter Lingenfelter, Doris Asepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bill Getty and Mike Raybuck and Bev Rett and Emily Cricklar. We thank you, Father, for your grace at work in each one of, of the people in our lives And in this world who are struggling, thank you for your healing grace upon them. Father, we know that there are other burdens and concerns that we bring with us today. Financial concerns. Relational concerns. We we worry about the future. We, We wonder what's ahead. Lord, in all of these circumstances, give us the grace to trust you and to see you at work. And to believe you're at work, even when we can't see. Father, we thank you for the ministry of of our church. And even the ministry going on right now. And the ministry that will take place all throughout the morning in a variety of ways. We also want to thank you for the ministry of churches around us. We pray today for the Rawson Baptist Church in Cuba. And Pastor Holmes. 
May your grace and blessing be upon this body of believers as they worship you today, as they serve you every day. May their influence on the community bring glory to you and draw people to you. Father, we pray for your work, your kingdom around the world. We thank you for for the calling you've placed on on Jackie Algier's life. And we, we thank you as she works in North Africa, as she teaches there in the school. May she continue to know your strength and your grace upon her. We ask, Father, that you will give her good health, help give her courage, help her to be a presence of love, help her to persevere in all the things that she encounters. And may she bear witness to you in everything. And Father, we think of our brothers and sisters around the world who face such hardship and difficulties because of their faith in you. Lord, this morning, we think of, of this Christian teen, Leah Sherabu, who is uh, being threatened by Boko Haram. Lord, we ask that you would protect her. We pray, Father, that you will wrap your, your loving, protective grace around her. We ask, Father, that she would know your presence every moment. Give her the strength and the courage to, to be your witness in this very difficult circumstance. And may she be a presence of your grace to those who oppose her as well as those who support her. Father, we thank you for your work throughout this world for helping refugees continue to bring them to safety, for being at work in places of tragedy and disaster. And we think especially of the, the people down in the Carolinas as they continue to, to deal with and try to begin recovering from this recent hurricane. And other places around the world, Father, may it be evident that you are present and may your people bear witness to your presence. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for being present, not only here, but every place in every way. We offer our prayers in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. Today's reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need 
before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. This time, children may be dismissed for Children's Church and Junior Church. Lost, but he brought me in. 
Please be seated. Father, we pray that you will help us to understand who we are in you. Open our eyes, our minds. Help us to see ourselves the way you do. We ask this through Christ. Amen. Catholic priest was once asked, what's the, what's the most common problem you encounter in hearing confessions? And this priest who had been hearing confessions for 20 years said, answered without, without any hesitancy, the most common problem I encounter is God. He said, everything that people come and confess about, in some way or another, reveals their perspective about God. He said, for years I've been listening to people come who don't really believe that God is who he says he is, and more importantly, that God feels about them the way he says he does. And they wrestle with that. When I read that, I was reminded of that famous quote of, of A.W. Tozer that said, what I think about God is the most important thing about me. And I think that's so true. Recently, I read something that C.S. Lewis said. He said, maybe it's not so much, uh, maybe what's not most important is how God thinks about me, but how I think not so much how I think about God, but how God thinks about me. But when I put that, when I realize, think about that, I think Tozer and Lewis are saying the same thing. Because really, what we think about God is really an expression of what we think God thinks about us. How we feel about God is, God, how you feel about me. That's really what we're talking about. And I am convinced that our view, what we th- how we think God feels about us, what we think God thinks about us, who we are in the eyes of God, has great bearing on how we pray. And how we think about prayer. And how we engage ourselves in prayer. And I think, at least in part, that's what Jesus is getting at in this sixth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. This, the the math, beginning of Matthew 5 is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus talks about the Beatitudes and he starts working through things in people's lives and how, how they need, we need to view them differently than we typically do. And when we come to chapter 6 of Matthew, he begins talking about some of the spiritual disciplines. He talks first about, about giving and the perspective we have of giving. And at the end, he talks about fasting. And in between, he has this section on prayer that we read a few moments ago. And I think what Jesus is doing in all three of those things, but particularly when he talks about prayer, is that he is trying to correct some false views that we have about prayer that are rooted in what we think God thinks about us. Now, I suspect that most of us have around our homes some mementos of our lives. I brought a few of mine here with me this morning. This plaque that I have. 
small little plaque, and it says on it, it's a little old, so I'm trying to read it here in my eyes, Showtime 76, Best Solo, Wes Oden. This is a, this is a plaque I got, and our high school choir was uh, about, I don't know, 50 of us, and we traveled all around, and it was, it was probably one of, the, one of the things that our high school was, was known for. And uh, our, you know, our annual concert was in the Civic Auditorium in Evansville. About, about 1,500 people would show up, and it was a big deal. And so every spring we had this contest, uh, a night where everybody got to perform and do things they wanted to do. And, and I sang that night, and I was rewarded best solo. In case you're wondering, I sang Barry Manilow's song, Mandy. I remember all my life raining down as cold as ice. You know, I got these words in my head. Hey, it was 1976. What can I say, you know? Uh, I still like Barry Manilow, so that's, but that's a whole other thing. That may, I may now, you may think less of me because of that. But, but you know, that, that's a memento that, you know, that I've hung on to. I have one that I got actually just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, son Andrew and I played in the uh, Wellsville Balloon Rally Doubles Tournament, and we won. And we got this plaque. And so now that's become a memento because primarily because it's something Andrew and I did together. And, it, and that was a fun thing. And then I have this little golf ball. And uh, it's a MaxFly 3, actually. And uh, this is, I, I saved this because on July 6, 2014, at the second hole at the Woodland Hills Golf Course, just outside of Nunday, I stepped up to the tee with an eight iron, and I hit one of the few shots I've ever hit straight, and it landed on the green and rolled into the cup. And I got a hole in one. Now, I have, my brother-in-law is a tremendous golfer. For a lot of his life, he would play par golf most of the time. He's never gotten a hole in one. So I'm just telling you, it was pure luck. That's all I can say. <laughs> Pure, pure luck. John, our son, is a much, much better golfer than me, and he hasn't gotten a hold in one. But I hang on to that. It's a memento, and I got the scorecard here as well with a little one on it, right? We, we have these mementos in our lives, and we save them, and we keep them, and they're important to us. But we also have other things in our lives, and we have tools that we use. And I, and I brought this drill because a lot of you have tools in your home. In fact, some of you have... A whole workshop full of tools and you build things and you make things, you create and repair things. And, and you, it's one of the things that you do and your tools represent your, your willingness, your ability to do that. I also have some garden clippers here. You know, it's a, for some of you, it's about gardening. It's your rose bushes. It's your vegetable garden. It, it's, your, it's the things that you do around your outside of your house and the things that you grow. And, and, and you use the tools for that. And, and I also brought a keyboard because for some, some of you, the keyboard is your tool that you write and you create things in a computer or you play you do computer games, you do programming, you do all kinds of things. And all of those things are tools that we use that, that make us feel useful. And the thing about both mementos and tools is that they are about things that we accomplish and ways that we feel useful in this world. And I am convinced that one of the struggles we have in prayer is that we have a tendency to think of prayer as either promoting our accomplishments or trying to convince God that we are useful so that he will hear us and answer our prayers. How many times... Have we stood before God, knelt before God, and some way, somehow, have tried to convince God through our accomplishments or our usefulness that God should hear us and God should answer us? 
And we don't always do it overtly. Often, it's something subtle that's just going on in our minds. It's something in our, in our psyche that we do. But every one of us has a tendency to think that God will hear our prayers if we've had some good things that we've done in our lives and if we feel useful to him. And he looks at us and says, okay, you've accomplished some things, so I'll listen to you. I'll do what you want. I can see how you have some gifts and abilities. You're useful to me. I will hear you and I'll do what you want. And Jesus says, that's not the way prayer works. That's not how God sees us. That's not why God hears us. That's not why God responds to us. It's not about us. Prayer is not ultimately and primarily about us. Because if, you, if, we, if we think that prayer is not really about mementos, if prayer is not really about tools, what is it? I think primarily it's about cherished photographs. It's about the people in our lives that we cherish and the photographs that we put up on our walls, that we, that we put on our desks, that we put in our dorm rooms, pictures of people that are important to us, family, friends, important people in our lives, people who are cherished, because what do those pictures represent? Do they represent accomplishments? Do they represent usefulness? No, they represent relationships. And at the heart of prayer is relationship with God. What is it that causes God to pay attention to us, to hear us, to respond to us? It's our relationship with him. It's his relationship with us. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, Jesus says, he says in verses 5 to 7, it's not these things. It's not, you know, the Pharisees proclaiming all these great prayers and making everyone think they look great. It's not babbling. It's not trying to impress God with all of your many words. But he says, don't be like them for your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. How is it that God knows what we need? Is it because we're useful? We've accomplished things? No, it's because he loves us. He knows us. It's about relationships. And the heart of prayer is a God who is relational. And who desires intimacy with us and us with him. And all of prayer, all the dynamics of prayer are rooted in that relationship. But it's hard to get past trying to impress God. It's hard to get past trying to appear useful to God. And that's why Jesus keeps telling us, no, it's about relationship with God. Craig Barnes, who's now the president of Princeton Seminary, tells a story of when he was a student at the seminary, that he had a professor who used to say to their class on a regular basis, you ought to wake up every morning and give thanks to God that you are unnecessary. He said all of us looked at each other and thought, what, wait, what? We're all unnecessary. So I understand that, that, you know, we can be replaced. We're all going to be replaced. We, we understand that, but, but we ought to be necessary, right? I mean, shouldn't there be people in our lives to whom we are, we are necessary? In a sense, are we necessary to God? And the professor would say, no, 
You are too important to be necessary. You deserve to be loved. And what I discovered, I've been pondering that for a number of years, and what has come to my mind is that things that are necessary ultimately become unnecessary. And what happens, what happens to tools when we are done with them? When they break, when they wear out, what do we do? Do we hang on to them and say, oh, this tool is so important to me that I'll never let it go? No, we actually find that to be useful to us sometimes because it enables us to get a better tool with more gadgets on it. It's a way of convincing whoever we need to convince that I really do need this. And the same way with mementos. You know that plaque that I got for singing when I was in high school? I had to go down to the basement and dig it out of a box. Because it, it, it uses up its usefulness. And sometimes we think that we're only important to God because we're necessary. And Jesus is telling us here and in so many other places, and the scriptures keep telling us, no, it is about being loved. Because if you ever get to the point with God where you become unnecessary, you no longer have value to God. And I think that's what we wrestle with. I think that's the very point, the struggle that we deal with. And that's why the scriptures keep telling us, no, we are God's cherished possession. And that's why the pictures, those cherished pictures, those photographs are the most descriptive of the heart of prayer because it's about relationship. And relationship with God as prayer, prayer as relationship with God, has been God's intent from the very beginning. What does it say to us in Genesis 3? That God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's a great, great phrase because you see it over and over again. Scripture tells us that God walked with Noah. And God walked with Abraham. And God walked with Moses. And God walked with Joshua. And God walked with David. And God walked, God walked, God walked. He is with his people. He spends time with them. It's about relationship. And what I find fascinating is that this whole idea of, of prayer as relationship and prayer in general, it didn't begin. God didn't institute prayer because people sinned. It wasn't, it wasn't Adam and Eve's sin that made God then say, well, you know what? I better spend some time with you and I better help you understand that who I am and the relationship between us. No, that went on from the very beginning. The problem was when they sinned, now they were no longer wanted to walk with God. Now their view of, of what it meant to connect with God was skewed. And they ran and hid. Relationship with God has been his purpose from the very beginning. Because the most important thing about God is not his sovereignty, it's his love. Is God sovereign? Yes. But as Dennis Kinlaw says, that before God created anything, there was no need for sovereignty because he had nothing over which to be sovereign. But love, love was the dynamic that always existed in the blessed trinity. The relationship. And I think that's part of what's going on when Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Not this way, but this way. And what's, what does he say? Here's how you should pray. He, he gives, tells, says the Lord's Prayer. And how does the Lord's Prayer begin? Our Father. Relationship. 
intimacy. He could have said, eternal God. He could have said, O sovereign one. He could have said, creator of all. And, every, and those are true, and they are, they are important understandings of who God is. But when Jesus is teaching us to pray, he says, our Father. Relationship. And the other thing I find most fascinating about the Lord's Prayer is that there are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. And actually, as we are planning the prayer vigil, that we're going to focus on the Lord's Prayer and and those six petitions. But I'm convinced that those six petitions, they they revolve around not just our Father, but around the petition, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because the first petition is, hallowed be your name. We want your name to be hallowed. Why? Because you, as head of the kingdom, are perfect and holy. And your will be done. Why? Because your kingdom, when, when, we bring, when your kingdom comes and your will is done, everything is how it was meant to be. It's beautiful. It's life. It's goodness. It's blessing. Give us this day our daily bread is saying, Lord, in your kingdom, all of our needs are met. We can trust you. The needs today, the needs right in front of us, the needs to come. And what is the attitude of the kingdom? Forgiveness. It's forgiveness. In the kingdom, there is an overflow of forgiveness because we know we've been forgiven. And in the kingdom, there is power and strength to overcome temptation. And the attacks of the evil one, because God is greater. And there is in this prayer of your kingdom come, the, to pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, is really to take the nature of relationship with God and understand that that prayer is an invitation to, to enter into not only relationship, but partnership with God. When we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we are joining ourselves in partnership with God for accomplishing his purposes in the world. We're saying, God, we want to be a part of that. We want your kingdom to come just as you want it to be. And as we pray that prayer, we are engaging in partnership with you. I think that's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where he just subtly says, as God's partners. I think you can meditate on that for the rest of your life and never get to the end of it. As God's partners. It is one of the most phenomenal things that Paul ever writes. It's so subtle, we often just walk past it. I know I have for years. But the implications of Paul saying, we are God's partners. Partners with God. It's what God is saying to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 19 when he says, You're my chosen people, my treasured possession. You are a kingdom of priests to serve me and to serve with me as my witnesses. And there is this partnership that God has called us into. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here when he talks about rewards in Matthew 6. 
In verses 5 and 6, he says, look, if, you, if, if it's all about accomplishments, if it's all about your usefulness, it's all about your words, it's all about you, then the reality is the rewards you get end right here. It's what people see. But when you're engaged in this relational partnership, the rewards are eternal. They go on and on and on and on because our prayers are connected to the kingdom of God and his eternal purposes. That partnership. How do we know that God wants his partnership with us? Where does that idea come from? What's the dynamic of that? I think... I think that idea of God partnering with us is rooted in the Blessed Trinity. I think when God says, I want you to be partners with me, he says, I want you to mirror the essence of the Trinity. When you think about Father, Son, and Spirit, there is this relational partnership between them. And here's the thing. I... I know I will never fully understand the Trinity. I don't know of anyone who has ever lived who fully understands the Trinity. But I do think there is this dynamic of the Trinity that I'm coming to see more and more of this interplay between Father, Son, and Spirit in this relational partnership. We often think of the Trinity as sort of like as like guys sitting around a, a, a boardroom table to sort of negotiating things. And we see it as very, very static. You stay, we each stay in our lanes and we each do our thing and, and we, we sort of just exist that way. But I think the better metaphor of the Trinity might be dance. I know dancing, not something that's part of our tradition. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, that was taboo. I understand that. There are a lot, a lot of dancing leads to inappropriate things. That's what we were always told. That's why you can't do it. But the older I get, the more I, I appreciate people who dance. Particularly ballroom dancing. I love to watch ballroom dancing. There is something, when I think about waltzing, if you ever watch people who know what they're doing waltzing, there is this gracefulness about it. And of course, when you talk about dancing, there is intimacy. There is a unity of purpose. You have one person leading, you have one person following, but the people who are really good at it, you can't tell who's doing what because they just flow together so gracefully. And it is beautiful to watch. And it is enjoyable to do. There there is a sense, there is life in that. And I know it may sound strange, but there have been some fathers through the, through the centuries, and I don't know even exactly where this idea came to me through a variety of different sources and readings, to come to this idea of the Trinity as, as sort of dancing together, the dance of the Trinity. But there is this sense of ebb and flow and relationship of the Father, Son, and Spirit that is so beautiful to watch and so graceful and so intimate and in the relational nature of how they exist. And I think Jesus is saying to us, that's the kind of relationship that the Father wants with you and with me as we enter into a life of prayer. 
It's not static. It's not a checklist. It's not measuring up to a standard. It's not accomplishments. It's not usefulness. It is this this relational partnership of dance that is beautiful and graceful. And God takes us on this journey and teaches us and nurtures us, but all the while drawing us closer and closer to him in intimacy and in partnership. And out of that intimacy and out of that partnership come all of the prayers that we pray. The prayers of thanksgiving, the prayers of praise, the prayers of adoration, the prayers of intercession, the prayers of supplication. All of the prayers that we pray come out of that. But at the heart of it is this relational partnership that God himself initiates with us as a means of mirroring the blessed Trinity and being created in his image for his glory. In Philip Yancey's book, Prayer, he tells a story about his pastor who was out one day putting in new stone steps at their house. And these stones he was, he was putting in weighed between 100 and 200 pounds. And he was doing everything he could with his own strength and with some tools to move them into place and create these steps that would enhance the outside of their house. And in the middle of this project, his little four-year-old daughter came up to him and said, Daddy, I want to help. He's like, you know, what would that mean? And he says, why don't you sing to me and that will encourage me while I work. And she said, no, Daddy, I want to help. He thought, what in the world could she do? And finally, after, her, after she kept asking him and asking him, he finally got to a place where he, he put her in, by the stones in a place where she wouldn't get hurt. And as she put her hands on the stones to move it, he moved the stone. And they did this till the project was finished. And she ran into the house and was done. And she said, Mommy, Mommy, me and Daddy put in new steps. And he said, you know, he said, I could have done that project a whole lot faster without her. A whole lot easier. A lot less worry and concern about her. But to hear her say, me and Daddy put in the steps was worth it. He said, it's in that moment that I began to realize, maybe like I hadn't before, the joy of being in relationship with my children and them with me. God is calling you and me into this relational partnership of prayer. It's not about mementos or tools. It's not about our accomplishments or our usefulness. It's about those photos. It's about the relationship. And he's inviting us, you and me, to be a part of it. I'd like for us just a moment to take just a a minute or two of contemplative time of silence. And in that moment to to put yourself in a place where you 
where you sense God near. And in that moment, to feel his embrace and to hear his invitation to enter in to the dance with him. Father, open our eyes to your invitation, to the joy of this relational partnership with you, through the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen. Stand and join us as we sing together. Before he spoke creation, the God of heaven knew our name. Formed in his reflection. His heart is good, he is always kind, with the cross he proved, he is on our side. We are the sons, we are the daughters of God, no matter where we go, we're close to 
Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.